0: The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
1: New Orleans. Drink the Kool-Aid, man. Keep your fire lit. 94, it was spectacular. Number seven, it was electric. That line, if I do my job well today, well, I'll remember where we were, hovering just off the surface, run over the goal line, through the end zone, and up the tunnel. Number nine, a lot of people looked up to this man. Life just cannot get any better than this moment. Live it. While we're here, And they're going to run across the Jumbotron. Let's make it a place where we break a sweat, where we believe, where we enjoy the process of succeeding in the places and ways that we are fashioned to, where we don't have to look over our shoulder because we're too busy doing what we're good at, traveling towards immortal finish lines. We write our own book, overcoming our fears. We make friends with ourselves. And that is the place that I'm talking about.
2: Alright everybody, welcome to a special early edition of Freebie Friday Saints Happy Hour Podcast. As always, we are sponsored by JLD Hot Sauces and Knives. Guys, they have the best hot sauce. They have uh, butjolikia is that right, Andrew? Did I say
0: it right?
2: They have Thai flavors, my favorite. They have the best knives available for hunting, fishing, and cooking. Go to jldsharpsauce.com, use the code SAINTS, and get 10% off your order today. And all month long, while the Saints are in the playoffs, if you use the code SAINTS at jldsharpsauce.com and you spend $25, we will send you a podcast magnet. A bunch of people have used the code. You'll be getting your magnets next week. Uh, Once again, that's jldsharpsauce.com. All right, so I needed... We did the jokes this week. We tried to relax people, but I needed to get uh, X's and O's. I got to get my boy Seth back on. He came back about six weeks ago, and we were talking about NFC quarterbacks and who the Saints might play in the first round, and he nailed it on Foles and um, our cousins, who we thought it was going to be. So I had to have him back on. I got Andrew to join me. Seth, uh, you're back on. But before we get into the serious X's and you asked a great question on Twitter. Do you think you could complete a pass in Sean McVay's offense? Uh, what, were the poll, what were the responses, and do you think you could do it?
3: So I, the, the question was, <laughs> the, the, the tweet was, retweet if you think you could uh, play quarterback in Sean McVay's offense, and there were a lot of retweets. <laughs> so a lot of people think they could play quarterback in Sean McVay's offense. I think what he tries to do, and I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would imagine they're probably the top team in the league in terms of plays or pass plays where there's only two receivers out on the route. Or, you know, if you take away, like, the little check down receivers or flat receivers, there's really two two receivers down the field. So at that point, it's like, well, if the safety goes one way, I throw here. If the safety goes the other way, I throw here. Could I physically get the ball down the field thirty yards? That's the biggest question. But I think I could make the reads. No, nah, you know what? no nah, I don't even know why I'm saying that. I couldn't complete a pass in the NFL if my life depended on it. <laughs>
2: Andrew, do you think you do, do, Andrew, do you think you could could or your shoulder well, I, would just fall off? Right?
3: Yeah, I, I played a little uh,
0: quarterback in high school, so I, I can throw the ball. But first of all never an NFL ball you know which is bigger you know so I would be concerned about that because the ball in high school and college is just a little smaller and then also you know I mean you've seen these throws that breeze or any of these guys make you know there's such a small window and if you're just a half half a step behind I mean it's all timing and accuracy so you know the location of the ball a lot of times you know even if, you know, if you throw it in the receiver's area it's an interception you know you've, you've got to be thinking about you know throwing it high and left for example, on a crossing route you know to catch the guy going at a certain speed so um, no no I mean and I've got just the time time playing tennis at 38 years old my shoulder just I, I, there's no way there's no way I can make that throw maybe a
2: screen pass I could probably pull off a screen pass Seth, I was looking at Goff's numbers and his numbers between not just looking at like the last few, you know, month month and a half of the season where he struggled. But he's like two different dudes. Like he's an elite quarterback at home. On the road, he's Jeff Driscoll. What oh
3: is the what is the huh. difference? That I mean, that's such a tough thing. I mean, you look at the Chiefs also have weird road splits by their defense when they're on and off uh, when they're in Arrowhead or not in Arrowhead. I know for the Chiefs one it had to do with kind of the opposing offense their offensive they were playing. Maybe for golf, it's the same thing, where it just so happens that they played uh, some harder teams mm. on the road, especially later in the season um, when they've struggled. Well, um, I, I, you know, I, if you could talk about crowd noise, maybe the, um, you know, maybe the, I, I don't know, the linebackers aren't biting as much on play action on the, you know, when the Rams travel, I'm not really sure.
0: Well, that's, that's the question I was going to ask you. So I, I watched the Rams uh, this past weekend. I haven't watched them a ton this year. I mean, I obviously I saw them when they played the saints and I saw, and, and one of the things that just from watching them a little bit that became clear to me is that they really like, and I said this on the podcast on Monday night, but it, it seems like they like to get up to the line of scrimmage early, 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 early in the play clock. And so, you know, there's 25 seconds left on the play clock and McVeigh is still in Goff's ear at that point. So, you know, I think I think it cuts off at 15 seconds, but it allows McVay to see how the defense is set up. Uh, it allows Goff to audible, move guys around, kind of set his line how he wants to, and, and you know, they can do all their checks there. And, and sometimes they're not snapping the ball until there's five seconds left on the play clock. So there's a lot, a lot of time for Goff to kind of manipulate things the way he wants. Um, to me... That works fine when you're at home. But when you go on the road, especially if it's a game at Chicago or in this case at New Orleans, to me, when you're set up that way, it just becomes a lot more difficult when you have a young quarterback. When you have someone like Breeze, you know, they've got the hand signals, he's got the experience, and he can deal with the crowd noise and still kind of execute what he wants to and explain to his teammates what he wants to. But do you think maybe it's just – maybe it's Golf inexperience and that the way that's set up for him – maybe makes it a little bit more difficult?
3: Yeah, I think that's definitely um, a question mark for them when they go on the road is how they, because you're right, they, they get to the line early, he's still, you know, McVeigh McVay is still in Goff's ear, and then he tells him to play after McVeigh looks at the defense. And that's different from, you know, as you get more experience, you know, Goff will become like uh, Breeze, let's say, and Breeze will just have be, be making those decisions himself. So McVeigh still communicates the offense through Goff at the line of scrimmage. It probably helps that there's less crowd noise, but I think there are ways to mitigate that.
4: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: By using more hand signals, plus I feel like, you know, I've never been on the 50-yard line while the Superdome is, is, uh, is super loud, but I imagine because he goes right up to the, the, the backs of his offensive line and yells at the, the, the protection or the run scheme at them, so I feel like you should be able to hear that stuff. But again, I've never been down there. Uh, it doesn't get that loud at my flag football game. So, <laughs> here's here's a question, I, and this, Seth, you'll like this because
2: you're an LSU fan, as me and Andrew are. I feel like Goff had one of those Joe Burrow games against Dallas, where you watch the game and you're like. He played pretty good. They won. He hit some throws. It was fine. It was good. And then you look at the box score and you're like, Ugh, twenty eight to f- fifteen to twenty-eight for no touchdowns and, and and then you're like, ugh. So what did you think of Goff's game versus Dallas?
3: I thought that the you know, McVeigh makes the game so easy for him. You know, how many times does he actually catch a snap and straight drop back? You know There's not a lot. You have a lot of screen passes. You have a lot of play-action games, uh, plays. And so golf doesn't have to go through progressions that often. You know, when we're talking about all the play-action stuff, most play-action schemes have a go route or post, some sort of vertical route, maybe a corner, and then a deep crossing route. So it's really one to two. It's high to low. And that's it and you're creating space underneath by the play-action scheme, uh, getting the linebackers to bite up. And then Goff kind of just got to hit an open receiver. And he was okay. Like, he did what he was supposed to do against the Cowboys. But if you force him to straight drop back a bunch of times, and I think the best way to do that is to kind of live with the fact that Your linebackers have to be, and, you know, the down safeties have to be a little more patient when they see run action. They're going to, you know, the Rams have a great O-line, so no matter what you do, they're going to get yards on you. You know, the modern modern NFL is about using play action to conflict the linebackers, and the Saints just have to say, no, 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 let's stay back. We're going to allow a couple plays to bust on us in the run game. And by bust, I don't mean necessarily a 7 yard touchdown. I mean like a 6-yard carry, an 8-yard carry, a 12-yard carry. To limit those plays where they go play action, the linebackers get sucked up, and he's able to throw that deep crossing route over the top to a wide-open receiver because it's tough. Whether you're playing man or zone, it's tough to follow that guy across the field.
0: Uh, what, so let's talk about the matchup saints versus Rams and, and, you know, these two teams specifically, um, you know, the Rams, the last several weeks, CJ Anderson out of nowhere, uh, he, he was left for dead in Carolina, looked awful. Uh, and then these last few weeks, Gurley's been nursing a knee. So he he goes over a hundred against, I mean, a couple teams who have mailed it in San Francisco and Arizona, they're done for the season. They're playing for draft picks. So you'll put a lot of stock in it, but then they play the Cowboys and, You know, he's over 100 again. So now all of a sudden you're like, well, the Saints for almost the entire season were the number one defense against the run. In the NFL, I think they end number two in weeks after week 17. But how to me, I mean, so many people are just saying this game comes down to the Saints stopping the run. Do you think it's that simple when you look at this matchup?
3: I think it comes down to the, the Saints stopping. It depends what you want to define as stopping the run. So like I said, I think it's okay if the Rams, if we don't, you know, charge hard down downhill and try and get all those tackles for losses. I think it's okay if you chill, you know, wait a couple seconds for the ball to declare in the running back's hands. And then, okay, yeah, maybe they'll get five yards rather than three yards if you're charging hard but at least that limits where they're super explosive and that's you know off those play action throwing the ball down the field to to cooks and Robert Woods who are two really good receivers as we know about cooks Um, those guys are hard to stop when the linebackers start coming up coming up coming up
2: Seth what did what did you feel that Dallas didn't do well against the Rams
3: on defense I mean, I think that like all the teams that Sean McVay has coached against in his two years, they're so concerned with the run game that everything else is is available to them. And now, what the re- you know, I think the main thing when you talk about when teams run the ball very well in a particular game and you look at it last week it happened in two games the Patriots against the Chargers and the Rams against the Cowboys what really happens is those big guys those five big guys are mauling the four down linemen and now no matter how good your linebackers are or in the case of the Cowboys or no matter how fast your linebackers are in the case of the Chargers the running back isn't getting there's no penetration so there's no cuts in the backfield for the running back. And if he didn't have to cut right off the bat, then he's free to, you know, go get three yards before he's touched, and then he can make a move on a running, on a linebacker. And I think that's kind of where I saw... I don't think the Cowboys didn't, did anything necessarily wrong. They just got pushed off the ball. They get mauled off the ball. And, I mean, if you guys watch the game, I'm sure, like, you saw those holes for both running backs. They were gigantic. It
2: was. CJ yeah. C- C- and CJ... See, and the the fat running back for the Rams, he is not a small dude, and he had like gigantic no. holes.
3: He's gotten bigger since the last time
2: he was <laughs> yes, uh, it's on national he, television. He, television he looked he
0: looked he thinner with the Panthers. It's it's yeah, yeah, exactly. they, they cut him, and he just decided to keep eating, and, and he still got a job. <laughs> but uh, Seth, what, what's going on with the Saints' offense? I mean, I don't know how closely you've watched, but since that infamous game against the Cowboys, where the defense kind of shut the Saints down. You know, they, the Saints did score 31 against the Steelers in a crucial game at home. Um, so they, they haven't been awful. I mean, there's been stretches of good play uh, starting from that Cowboys game, but it just hasn't been the same as earlier in the season when they were putting up 41 or 48 on some teams. Um, you know, some people theorize it's just the health of the offensive line. Others are just like, yeah, besi- besides Michael Thomas and Kamara, they just don't really have anything else. Some are kind of pointing to maybe Drew Brees looks like he's a little off. Um, Have you been paying close attention? And and is there something that that kind of stands out to you that's maybe uh, doesn't look the same with the Saints?
3: I think it's a a mixture of all three things you talked about. The offensive line, for sure. All of a sudden, teams were able to kind of get more pressure by just rushing four. I mean, the theory is that you don't want to blitz Brees because that leaves too much space down the field, and he'll, he'll hit you before the blitz gets there. So most teams are going to send four against the Saints, and for the most part, over especially over his career, I mean, the Saints have, have such a good O-line that the pressure doesn't get there, and he can just sit there and go through progressions and find the open receiver. So I think the O-line health is super important. Obviously, we get Teron back uh, last week, and he'll play this week. The Pete situation blows, obviously. Um, so that's the O-line stuff. The secondary receiving option, I think, is a big deal, too, because they couldn't find anybody. You know, maybe seven years ago, Breeze would have made traquan Smith or Austin Carr or Dan Arnold look like superstars. I don't know if he could do that anymore. Not that he's not an elite quarterback. He, he is an elite quarterback, but... I don't know if he can do that anymore. So getting Ginn back is so big. And you can see how many throws, you know, in the Pittsburgh game and and last week against uh, Philadelphia, how many throws underneath, you know, those like 12-yard out routes, stuff like that, where because he's on the field, all of a sudden you put him out wide, that corner, he's not playing him at two yards. He's got to give him space. And the Eagles played a lot of cover three, so he's running down the field that corner is bailing. He just stops it off at 12 to 15 yards, and he's open all the time. So I think that really, really helps having Ginn back. The third thing, yeah, I thought Breeze was just that tiny bit off in those kind of down weeks at the end of the season. But since then, you know, Pittsburgh and Philly, even though they only scored 20 against Philly, he was... I thought he was lights out. After, you know, you take away the first throw of the game, the underthrow, he he's he's as good as he has been the whole year in my opinion.
2: I felt like he was a pitcher in a baseball game that's elite that doesn't have his great stuff for whatever reason and he's got to grind out the 7 inning, 3 run, 6 hit game and just he's just not as crisp, but it's not like an arm truth or thing. He just kind of was just you know, like you don't – some days you just aren't as good as the other days, right? Um, right.
3: And, I, you know, you look at the, the – there was two interceptions in that game. Uh, Breeze underthrows, Ginn and LeBlanc picks him off. You know, Ginn is wide open. Well, wide open. He's He has a step down the field. There's no safety. The other side of the field, Foles has Ertz on that little um, – they kind of run like a little out and up kind of, a corner and up against Marshawn Lattimore he has him he's beating Lattimore and he underthrows him but no one talks about you know Foles' lack of arm strength there's no Foles arm truthers out there (laughs) you know it was the same play really we we need to start the
2: we need to start that though if he goes if he he goes to Tampa
0: I think this could be an amazing uh this could be an amazing task for someone to just go through the entire film of the entire week and pick every underthrown ball that's happened over the course of a week and label every single quarterback that's thro- underthrown any ball as, as an arm decline situation.
2: I'm going to start the Twitter feed. I'm going to start. It's going to be Bob's arm truther. And it's just going to be screenshots of open dudes and a quarterback with a clean pocket. And he's going to be, he missed the throw. His arm is shot. Yeah, I, I think I could have twenty thousand followers in a week.
3: By right the end of today, for sure. Yeah, where are the Cam Newton arm truthers? I, know, I right? mean, my God, so, you can't talk. You can't talk about Cam Newton, uh, especially on Twitter, because <laughs> my mentions just blow up when I talk about Cam Newton. And I'm like, guys, I'm an LSU fan and a Saints fan. <laughs> he's been, he's been doing damage to my teams for 10 years well
0: okay let's talk about that like so obviously you know your big thing I mean you you talk a lot about offense analyzing offenses and quarterbacks which fan base gets the most offended when you have something negative to say oof
3: um so far it's definitely the Carolina Panthers (laughs) I mean (laughs) really um, but you know Cam Newton is such a Uh, polarizing figure. And I think he's a fine quarterback. I just think that he... Careful. He's got issues. You know what I mean? Like, he's not super accurate. You know, his reads aren't fantastic. I think his value in the run game is immense. But the problem with that is, well, how often do you want to give him a quarterback power? You don't. Because you, cause he, he does give you some value in the passing game. So, and you know, the, 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 the pro Newton people will talk about his lack of kind of receiver talent or tight end talent throughout the years or O-line talent. I think that's all true. But when you, even when you try and isolate Cam Newton, he's not. He's probably just outside the top 10 of, of uh, quarterbacks in this league over his kind of career.
2: I hate him, and I am convinced that he's not going to age gracefully. And his rapid decline, I am going to enjoy it, drinking bourbon. <laughs> I, that's my opinion on Cam Newton. You might so, have to break up the pappy for <laughs> we, So So, Seth, the Rams, they really started to struggle in the back half of the year on offense, and... You can get into spe- we'll get, you can get into specific reason why, but I heard Trent Dilfer talk on a podcast, and he said one of the reasons the Rams started to struggle and the adjustments that Sean v- McVay is going to have to make is because they run one personnel group, which is eleven, which is one tight end, one 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 back. They run it like ninety something percent of the time because they run the one offensive set. You can you can move receivers around. And you could do running backs. You could do a thousand different things with it. But he said the protection schemes. You can only run them a certain way. Like, there's only so many different protection schemes you can run, and teams can attack those few protection schemes because they know that's what they're going to get against the Rams. Can you explain what the Bears did and what Detroit apparently did specifically against the Rams It sort of like threw a monkey wrench into their offense?
3: What I felt, and and I think Dilfer is right about the protection scheme. I mean, I I didn't analyze either of those games from, from that aspect. But he's right because without a fullback and, you know, with one tight end, you're pretty much, there's not much things you could do, especially without the fullback and having kind of two guys in the backfield to help with linebackers. But what I did notice in the Lions game and in the Bears game was the D-line was, okay, there's two, there's two styles of play when you talk about the defensive line. You have gap control and you have penetration. So gap control means my first, uh, you know, uh, bullet point on my checklist is to is to get in the gap that I'm in, kind of stay there, holding an offensive line as I stay in the gap, and then kind of read out what ha- what's happening. And that helps when you're facing a team that likes to run the ball. So the Rams. Obviously, we know they like to run the ball with their outside zone scheme. So you want the, your, your D-lineman to sit there in the gap and what it's called show color to the running back. So he sees a different team's color, and he, and he can't go to that gap. He cuts it back, cuts it back, and then you have a kind of a free player eventually there to make the tackle. So what I've noticed teams doing is the opposite, and they'll tell their D-line to penetrate. And the penetration means we're not gonna sit there, you know, sink our butts in the hole, and we're we're gonna get up the field. And we don't really care whether if it's a run that much. It's when you play fake it, we're going to be on your ass as a quarterback right away because we haven't we're not sitting in the gaps waiting for you to hand the ball off. We're gonna go up the field right away. Now what the the. The flip side of that is when you go up the field too hard, all of a sudden you might create a gap in the run in the in the run game. And now am I,
0: everything. Am I correct that the Rams kind
3: of like to do that? That's kind of their MO is getting up the field. Yeah, that's that's a, that's what they're going to do to us 100%. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of what I've seen. Um, the Saints aren't necessarily a penetrating type of team, but I'd like to see them kind of do it obviously without Sheldon Rankings in there who you know, you have to also have to have the players to do it because you've got to get off blocks to get upfield. Cam Jordan can do it. You know, not having Rankins is pretty big in that regard.
0: Yeah, so, you know, Rankins being out, I mean, so it's interesting. Last week, I felt very good about the matchup. I was telling Ralph all week, like, the Saints got this. They know how to beat the Eagles. I'm confident going into this game. Ralph was a nervous wreck. Um, we have kind uh, of, yes. su- we have switched places this week, and now Ralph is happy, comfortable, excited. Uh, he's been in a crazy pills. Yeah, there's a little me, bit. Lance. Yeah, yeah. But we've completely switched places, and now I'm just so tight about this matchup. I'm tight about the offensive line being hurt, Rankin's being gone. You know, the Saints had to put 45 on the Rams to beat him at home last time, and the Rams put up 35, and like, I just don't think the Saints are scoring 45 this time, and I, I think the Rams could score 35. So I, I'm just tight and nervous about this game. I know some Saints fans feel the same way I do. What, 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 How do you feel like this is going to play out, and can you talk me off the ledge at all?
3: I, I don't think I can talk you off the ledge because I kind of feel the same way. I, I mean, But then again, I'm nervous before every Saints game. You know, I think we're gonna lose, you know, we could be playing a team that's like hasn't won a game all year, and I think <laughs> but I it does seem to me like this is probably gonna be another high scoring game. I I think that we can get points on them. You know, they're gonna play a lot of similar coverages that we saw last week that Schwartz played uh, with the Eagles. He's gonna play a lot of cover one and cover three. I think with Gin back it's it's just it's hard for teams to just sit in in single high coverages like cover 1 or cover 3 because against man underneath Michael Thomas he can't cover him and then getting that extra kind of deep threat back with Gin helps a lot but on you know in terms of the Saints defense obviously we know they've been playing fantastic the past you know I don't want to say a complete two years, but they've been really good for two years now. Minus minus like eight games, they've been really good. (laughs) But that Rams offense is so unique, and I find that Sean McVay kind of games the system. He's kind of put in all his cheat codes by running so much play action, by running so much post-snap motion. Like, there's so many things to deal with you have a run play, but you have a reverse going the same way. Plus, the tight end is going back to block against the defensive end. Like, there's so much, and it's so hard to kind of deprogram your defensive players from from seeing that all the, that shiny kind of eye candy that goes in front of them. So, there's score points on us, even though I think our defense is very good. Um, it's going to come down to a play here or there. Like I, It's going to be like that. 45, 35 game right. well, where maybe one I, team gets up. I don't know.
0: So if I tell okay, let's I'll put it to you this way. If you can pick one thing when the Saints have the ball that's happening, and one thing when the Rams have the ball that's happening, like what what's two things that you look for in this game matchup wise, where if that if it's going in the Saints' favor, then you feel really good about how this game's gonna turn out.
3: What they did, what I thought was interesting, uh, when I went and rewatched the first game against the Rams, they had a few coverages where they cut, tried to kind of double cover. And I'm not really sure, you know, you know I don't have the, the, the play calls in front of me. But it looked like there, were, there was a few coverages where they played with two high safeties and tried to double cover inside receivers. But a lot of times, and on the Michael Thomas long touchdown to seal the game, they double-covered two players who weren't Michael Thomas, which I thought was really fascinating. So they like to do that stuff. They like to kind of play sometimes with two safeties and, and find people to double-cover. With getting back, I don't know if they can do that. So for me, the interesting matchup, if the Saints are, are kind of rolling on offense, I think it kind of comes down to the same thing that happened in week nine, which is Michael Thomas is absolutely beating up on whoever's covering him. So it'll be super interesting to see, you know, in week nine without key Talib, they went with Marcus Peters and he couldn't cover Michael Thomas. So now do you say well, we'll do it again, we'll try it again and see how that works out. Or do you just say, okay, we'll put Tlaib on Michael Thomas, but then now, who do you put Gin on? So I think that's kind of be an interesting thing. I think if the Saints are moving the ball, it's because Michael Thomas is beating man coverage. Because that's kind of what they play most of the time. Yeah, they do some double, double cover stuff, they play some cover three. But I think in that game, I charted them playing cover one man coverage about uh, 45, 50% of the snaps. So on yes. the opposite side with the rams i think that if they're if they're moving the ball and getting those ghost points on the board it's because their play action game is working just as it kind of has the whole year
2: what's something that Sort of a non X's and O's guy like me, or fans as we're watching this game and we're getting drunker and drunker. What's something like formation-wise early in the game that you'll be looking for that that's easy to po- that was easy to point out on the TV? Uh, whether either it, either whether it's with the Saints or the Rams, where you'll be like, oh, they're doing that. Like, what's a formation where we can look to a pre-snap and you'll and you'll look at it and go, oh, that's interesting. They're doing single high or they're doing this, what's something that you're going to be looking for early in the game that fans of the podcast can look to and be like, Oh, Seth said they might do that. And it's something that a lay fan can, can identify.
3: Okay. Well, I'll give you two, hopefully, you know, it's, it's, it's not super easy to see on the broadcast, but we'll try it anyways. Um, My two things are first, the Saints left to go and empty. So whenever you see either, and they usually do it with Kamara. Sometimes they do it with Ingram, but we never see uh, Kamara motion out of the backfield, what they did against the Rams was they put him to the same side as Michael Thomas. So they do that a lot, but they put them to the wide side of the field. And that allowed kind of Michael Thomas to have a two-way go on the defender that was covering him. And he absolutely killed whoever was in front of him, you know, Marcus Peters, on a little option route. And by putting them to the wide side of the field, all of a sudden he catches an in route and there's so much space. Or he catches an out route and there's so much space before he gets to the sideline. So that would be one thing, if they put Kamara and Thomas to the wide side of the field together. The other thing is what, what and I keep going back to is having Ginn back is what the Saints are able to do now is put Michael Thomas as kind of the third option on plays. So what you'll be able to see is they'll go trips. So they'll go three receivers to one side. Michael Thomas is alone on the backside of the formation. Breeze will look to the three receiver side because they have, you know, the, a concept going there where routes are crossing and he's reading a defender to see what he does and they will throw whatever. What they can do, and now Breeze by putting Michael Thomas on the backside, Breeze doesn't have to force the ball in there to the three-receiver side. Because as long as there's no pressure, and the Saints have been obviously really good at this throughout uh, the past year, as long as there's no pressure, Breeze can, and what you'll see on TV, because they zoom in on the quarterback, is Breeze will go, he'll catch the snap, he'll take a crossover step, he'll finish his drop, looking to the three-receiver side. And once you see him start moving up in the pocket, what that means is he's moving his eyes to the next and next and next receiver. So once you see him take one or two hitch steps in the pocket, that means he's trying to go back to the opposite side of the field to Michael Thomas, who at that point, because of his superior route-running skills, will have beaten his man or found a hole in the zone. So I think that's something you could watch for, and I think it's something that the Saints have been really good at this year.
0: I've got I got one answer to that question, and I want to hear if Seth thinks I'm crazy or if it, if he <laughs> if he thinks it's. A I already decent.
3: think you're crazy.
0: Well, we'll see if you think I'm even crazier after I say this. But um, so I, I'm really interested. So, I, obviously, the Rams are not going to put Marcus Peters on Thomas one on one, or or at least yeah. he he's not going to mirror follow him, but. With to lead back, you know, and it, when you look at the Saints, I mean, obviously the way they were able to succeed offensively against the Eagles was almost entirely predicated on Michael Thomas. You know, he, yeah. he put the offense on his back. So, you know, I think they come into this game. What's going to be really interesting to me is we know Michael Thomas is good enough to play every position, every receiver position. And, you know, the Saints like to move him around and certainly play him in the slot a lot. So my my thing I'm looking for is... Do does Akib Talib follow Michael Thomas wherever he goes? Because I think it's pretty forgiving when you're a physical corner and you've maybe lost a step. When you're physical like that and you can jam a guy at the line and you've got a quarterback like Drew Brees that maybe relies a little bit more on accuracy, doesn't have the monster arm, you can maybe get away with a little space when you're playing on the outside. But if you're in the slot, you don't have that luxury. And I just think if Talib tries to play Michael Thomas in the slot, he is going to get chewed up. And if they – because he doesn't have the fluidity to just kind of run with him. And then I think if they go with a their slot corner on Thomas and they kind of play more straight up, then Thomas is going to be able to use his physicality and where the, they'll probably have to double him down low, which offers other opportunities. So that – that's one thing I'm really curious about, and I think Saints fans may, might want to look at that. It's just like, does it keep to leave, follow Thomas wherever he goes, or do the Rams kind of back off and say, "Ah, eh, he's in the slot. We're not gonna, we're not gonna do it on this one."
3: And, and I think that's a good point about putting kind of your best receiver in the slot, because even if he gets, like you said, the the kind of press corner on him, he has a two-way go because he's in the middle of the field. And even though you know I talked about putting Michael Thomas on the backside of trips. They don't always put him on the backside of trips and have him line up next to the sideline. You know, they'll they'll put him in a bit. They'll condense his split down. And that kind of gives you that same kind of slot uh, look, even though he's the only receiver out there. So I think I, I kind of agree with that.
2: I have a question about, uh, you know, Sean McVay, doesn't it reminds me a little bit of like the Chip Kelly Oregon offense where it's like, you mentioned it before. It's like all this eye candy and people going here and people going there, and and it's confu- the, the idea is just to confuse the fuck out of the defense, right? Who's a guy that, as fans, we can look at on the snap, and or or you're going to be looking at that it sort of all sort of falls on whether it's a linebacker or a defensive lineman or safety to like not fuck up and not get confused by it is it is it a is it is it the linebacker is it the safety who is it on the saints that's going to have to like not be card tricked sort of
3: so a lot of the things is when you get a team that does all that post snap motion so guys coming from one side of the field to the other when you play zone and the saints are going to play some zone What the linebackers have to do, and it's tough to find, like, one guy to say, you know, this guy should be there. You know, you never know the calls and that they're playing on defense. But the main thing is, once that guy comes across, you know, and usually the Rams will do it with a tight end. I think his name is Higby, the tight end. So they go, so the O-line goes all in one direction for their zone play. Let's say it's zone left. And the tight end, who was starting on the left, comes across their backs to the right. And his job is really just to knock out the, the Saints and man on that side. What happens when you play zone is that there's no one accounting for the tight end and man, so there's no one running across the field with him. But now all the linebackers have to kind of stop. I would not say stop. They have to push back and their gaps, what they had originally before the play started, have all moved a gap back because the tight end who's coming across has created a new gap on the backside, if that makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So what the Rams will get you is all of a sudden you don't play a gap back, whether it's you know uh, Klein or Anzalone or whoever. You don't play a Davis. You don't play a gap back you're stuck on the front side where all the linemen are. And then, boom, Todd Gurley is on his way to the end zone. And <laughs> he, cuts right be- he, cut, he cut right behind you because there's a gap there that you didn't account for. So it'll be interesting to see how that works with the linebackers, if they can push, if they can move around after the snap and not and not kind of get sucked in to that original where the O line is going, which is super hard.
2: Uh, Andrew, I as we wrap it up here, do you I, I I want I want um I want prediction from Seth and I want um a player for the Saints on their defense that nobody's talking about that you feel's got to play good.
3: Hmm Okay, well my prediction as it is every week is eighty-five nothing for the Saints. Yes <laughs> <laughs> Changed. I love it. <laughs> Um, I'll, but I'll say for real, I, I, you know what? It, it, won't, it won't be this score, but you'll understand that it'll be this type of game. I'll say again, 45-35 for the Saints. And your second question was, which Saints defender is going to have to have a big game? Yes.
4: <sighs> hmm.
3: I would like, maybe this might not happen, but what I would like is to see Marcus Williams get an interception.
2: Oh, it that'd be it sweet. feels like
3: it's been so long, Man, and it's... I, you know, my my girlfriend asked me uh, this week. She said, "Where's is, Where's is Marcus Williams?" And I said, "It's probably a good thing that we don't hear his name a lot." Nah, <laughs> right? <laughs> so sure. it was nice for him to uh, get a pick and maybe not undercut a corner route and allow it to go for a touchdown like last week. Yeah, so,
0: uh, you know, for me. I just keep coming back to the fact that I saw the Rams kind of attack Anzalone in coverage. And um, he came up with a huge, huge interception in that game, uh, which was big for the saints. But I, I think the Rams keep going after him. I think they believe in Gurley coming out of the backfield. I think they believe that they can expose him. And so, you know, I think it's going to be up to him again to come up with either an interception or a big pass breakup on fourth and two or, or whatever it is. But, um, and, you know, you talk about, you know, I, I believe in Demario Davis and I think he, he's going to play well. But when you talk about having gap discipline and, and not biting on the play action and, and being able to recover and drop back in your coverage zone, th- those are all things that a young linebacker sometimes struggle with. So, um uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. I liked, I love the Marcus Williams pick. Um, uh, for me, it would probably be Alex Sandaloni, just because I feel like the Rams. That's that's where they're gonna go.
3: What the Rams force you to do is what we call the oh shit technique. <laughs> which, is, which is oh look, I'm gonna go stop the run, and then all of a sudden the quarterback still has the ball, and you gotta go oh shit, I gotta turn around and find a yeah. receiver to cover.
0: Well, and it, at least it's Anzalone and not Scott Shanley, who I, I thought always had pretty good gap gap integrity. But whenever there
2: was a no shit moment with Scott Shanley, there was no recovering yeah, from it. Yeah, like that's the thing. Yeah. Anzalone and and Davis, they are so they're so fast that they can have a no shit moment and they can close and get back and it can be okay. Whereas Shanley and Robertson and oh, you, you know um, yeah. Curtis Lofton couldn't couldn't Ooh, David, David Hawthorne yeah <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> oh boy oh boy <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do a drunk Saint. I'm gonna do a drunk Saints history Andrew we're just gonna do it we're just gonna go through the list of bad Saints linebackers starting in <laughs> 2001 and we're just gonna read them and give our thoughts on each one
0: of them you I know, don't even that. think we need I, I don't even it's like Pavlov's dog you, all you have to do is say the name yeah, and people have a reaction. You know, they don't. You don't even need to really explain it.
2: It'll be nine hours long. James <laughs> Allen, C. Grant, nah, the fun. Seth, people follow him on the Twitters. Seth Galena, at Seth Galena. He's amazing. Seth, the Saints. How many? How many
0: L's in Galena? I'm gonna do
3: this right now. Seventeen L's. <laughs> you just keep, keep going till Twitter doesn't let you. It's S E T H. S-E-T-H-G-A-L-I-N-A.
2: Seth, the Saints got a awesome. win guy, so we can break down Sean Payton versus the evil genius Bill Belichick or Sean Payton versus Andy Reid. They got to win, so we can have you back uh, before the Super Bowl.
3: I would be – it would be my pleasure. And uh, I will be there in New Orleans for the game. I'm leaving tomorrow morning. Very excited. I haven't been back in 12 years. Nice. But That's I'll the way be to do it. So, uh, yeah, go Saints.
2: All right. Thanks, Guy, and everybody. If you love this show, become a patron, and we can do more of it. Uh, so, for Andrew, for Seth, for joining us. Uh, until the weekend, the bar is closed. New Orleans. Drink the Kool-Aid, man. Keep your fire lit.
1: 94. It was spectacular. Number seven, it was electric. That line, if I do my job well today, we'll all remember where we were, hovering just off the surface. Run over the goal line, through the end zone, and up the tunnel. Number nine, a lot of people looked up to this man. Life just cannot get any better than this moment. Live it while we're here. And they're going to run across the Jumbotron. Let's make it a place where we break a sweat, where we believe, where we enjoy the process of succeeding in the places and ways that we are fashioned to, where we don't have to look over our shoulder because we're too busy doing what we're good at, traveling towards immortal finish lines. We write our own book, overcoming our fears. We make friends with ourselves. And that is the place that I'm talking about.